Chapter 3, Part 1 of Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women by Elizabeth Blackwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3, Part 1 Study in America, 1847-1849 In the summer of 1847, with my carefully hoarded earnings, I resolved to seek an entrance into a medical school. Philadelphia was then considered the chief seat of medical learning in America, so to Philadelphia I went, taking passage in a sailing vessel from Charleston for the sake of economy. In Philadelphia I boarded in the family of Dr. William Elder, he and his admirable wife soon became warm and steadfast friends. Dr. Elder, author of The Life of Dr. Kane, The Arctic Voyager, was a remarkable man of brilliant talent and genial nature. He took a generous interest in my plans, helping by his advice and encouragement through the months of effort and refusals which were now encountered. Applications were cautiously but persistently made to the four medical colleges of Philadelphia for admission as a regular student. The interviews with their various professors were by turns hopeful and disappointing. Whilst pursuing these inquiries, I commenced my anatomical studies in the private school of Dr. Allen. This gentleman, by his thoughtful arrangements, enabled me to overcome the natural repulsion to these studies generally felt at the outset with a tact and delicacy, for which I have always felt grateful. He gave me as my first lesson in practical anatomy a demonstration of the human wrist, the beauty of the tendons and exquisite arrangements of this part of the body struck my artistic sense and appealed to the sentiment of reverence with which this anatomical branch of study was ever afterwards invested in my mind. During the following months, whilst making applications to the different medical colleges of Philadelphia for admission as a regular student, I enlisted the services of my friends in search for an alma mater. The interviews with the various professors, though disappointing, were often amusing. Extracts from the Journal of 1847 May 27th Called on Dr. Jackson, one of the oldest professors in Philadelphia, a small, bright-faced, gray-haired man, who looked up from his newspaper and saluted me with, Well, what is it? What do you want? I told him I wanted to study medicine. He began to laugh and asked me why. Then I detailed my plans. He became interested, said he would not give me an answer then, that there were great difficulties, but he did not know that they were insurmountable. He would let me know on Monday. I came home with a lighter heart, 
though I can hardly say I hope. On Monday, Dr. Jackson said he had done his best for me, but the professors were all opposed to my entrance. Dr. Horner advised me to try the Filbert Street and Franklin schools. A professor of Jefferson College thought it would be impossible to study there and advised the New England schools. June 2nd. Felt gloomy as thunder, trudging round to Dr. Derrick. He is the most non-committal man I ever saw. I harangued him, and he sat full five minutes without a word. I asked at last if he could give me any encouragement. The subject is a novel one, madam. I have nothing to say, either for or against it. You have awakened trains of thought upon which my mind is taking action, but I cannot express my opinion to you either one way or another. Your opinion, I fear, is unfavorable. I did not say so. I beg you, madam, distinctly to understand that I express no opinion one way or another. The way in which my mind acts in this matter, I do not feel at liberty to unfold. Shall I call on the other professors of your college? I cannot take the responsibility of advising you to pursue such a course. Can you not grant me admittance to your lectures, as you do not feel unfavorable to my scheme? I have said no such thing, whether favorable or unfavorable. I have not expressed any opinion, and I beg leave to state clearly that the operation of my mind in regard to this matter I do not feel at liberty to unfold." I got up in despair, leaving his mind to take action on the subject at his leisure. Dr. Warrington told me that he had seen his friend, Dr. Ashmead, who had told him that Paris was such a horrible place that I must give up my wish for a medical education. Indeed, his communication would be so unfavorable that he would rather not meet me in person. I told the doctor that if the path of duty led me to hell, I would go there, and I did not think that by being with devils I should become a devil myself, at which the good doctor stared. Nevertheless, I shrink extremely from the idea of giving up the attempt in America and going to France although the suggestion is often urged on me. The fear of successful rivalry, which at that time often existed in the medical mind, was expressed by the dean of one of the smaller schools, who frankly replied to the application, You cannot expect us to furnish you with a stick to break our heads with, so revolutionary seemed the attempt of a woman to leave a subordinate position and seek to obtain a complete medical education. 
A similarly mistaken notion of the rapid practical success which would attend a lady doctor was shown later by one of the professors of my medical college, who was desirous of entering into partnership with me on condition of sharing profits over $5,000 on my first year's practice. During these fruitless efforts, my kindly Quaker advisor, whose private lectures I attended, said to me, Elizabeth, it is of no use trying. Thee cannot gain admission to these schools. Thee must go to Paris and don masculine attire to gain the necessary knowledge. Curiously enough, this suggestion of disguise made by good Dr. Warrington was also given me by Dr. Pankhurst, the professor of surgery in the largest college in Philadelphia. He thoroughly approved of a woman's gaining complete medical knowledge, told me that although my public entrance into the classes was out of the question, yet if I would assume masculine attire and enter the college, he could entirely rely on two or three of his students to whom he should communicate my disguise, who would watch the class and give me timely notice to withdraw should my disguise be suspected. But neither the advice to go to Paris nor the suggestion of disguise tempted me for a moment. It was, to my mind, a moral crusade on which I had entered, a course of justice and common sense, and it must be pursued in the light of day and with public sanction in order to accomplish its end. The following letter to Mrs. Willard of Troy, the well-known educationalist, describes the difficulties through which the young student had to walk warily. Philadelphia, May 24th. I cannot refrain from expressing my obligations to you for directing me to the excellent Dr. Warrington. He has allowed me to visit his patients, attend his lectures, and make use of his library, and has spoken to more than one medical friend concerning my wishes. But with deep regret, I am obliged to say that all the information hitherto obtained serves to show me the impossibility of accomplishing my purpose in America. I find myself rigidly excluded from the regular college routine, and there is no thorough course of lectures that can supply its place. The general sentiment of the physicians is strongly opposed to a woman's intruding herself into the profession. Consequently, it would be perhaps impossible to obtain private instruction, but if that were possible, the enormous expense would render it impracticable and where the feelings of the profession are strongly enlisted against such a scheme, the museums, libraries, hospitals, and all similar aids would be closed against me. In view of these and numerous other difficulties, Dr. Warrington is discouraged, 
and joins with his medical brethren in advising me to give up the scheme. But a strong idea, long cherished till it has taken deep root in the soul and become an all-absorbing duty, cannot thus be laid aside. I must accomplish my end. I consider it the noblest and most useful path that I can tread, and if one country rejects me, I will go to another. Through Dr. Warrington and other sources, I am informed that my plan can be carried out in Paris, though the free government lectures delivered by the faculty are confined to men, and a diploma is strictly denied to a woman, even when, as in one instance, as it is said, she has gone through the course in male attire. Yet every year, thorough courses of lectures are delivered by able physicians on every branch of medical knowledge, to which I should be admitted without hesitation and treated with becoming respect. The true place for study, then, seems open to me, but here again some friendly physicians raise stronger objections than ever. You, a young unmarried lady, they say, go to Paris, that city of fearful immorality, where every feeling will be outraged and insult attend you at every step where vice is the natural atmosphere, and no young man can breathe it without becoming contaminated. Impossible. You are lost if you go. Now, dear madam, I appeal to you. Who have had the opportunity of studying the French in their native land? Is this not a false view, a greatly exaggerated fear? Is it not perfectly true everywhere that a woman who respects herself will be respected by others, that where the life is directed by a strong, pure motive to a noble object, in a quiet, dignified, but determined manner, the better feelings of mankind are enlisted, and the woman excites esteem and respectful sympathy? To my mind, this is perfectly clear and I trust that your more experienced judgment will confirm my opinion. Probably, then, if all the information which I am still collecting agree with what I have already received, I may sail for France in the course of the summer, that I may familiarize myself with a rapid French delivery before the commencement of the winter lectures." I have tried to look every difficulty steadily in the face. I find none which seem to me unconquerable, and with the blessing of Providence I trust to accomplish my design. After a short refreshing trip with my family to the seaside, the search was again renewed in Philadelphia but applications made for admission to the medical schools, both of Philadelphia and of New York, were met with similarly unsuccessful results. I therefore obtained a complete list of all the smaller schools of the northern states, 
country schools, as they were called. I examined their prospectuses, and quite at a venture sent in applications for admission to twelve of the most promising institutions, where full courses of instruction were given under able professors. The result was awaited with much anxiety, as the time for the commencement of the winter sessions was rapidly approaching. No answer came for some time. At last, to my immense relief, though not surprise, for failure never seemed possible, I received the following letter from the medical department of a small university town in the western part of the state of New York. Geneva, October twentieth, 1847 To Elizabeth Blackwell, Philadelphia I am instructed by the faculty of the medical department of Geneva University to acknowledge receipt of yours of third instant. A quorum of the faculty assembled last evening for the first time during the session, and it was thought important to submit your proposal to the class of students who have had a meeting this day and acted entirely on their own behalf without any interference on the part of the faculty. I send you the result of their deliberations, and need only add that there are no fears but that you can, by judicious management, not only disarm criticism, but elevate yourself without detracting in the least from the dignity of the profession. Wishing you success in your undertaking— which some may deem bold in the present state of society, I subscribe myself, yours respectfully, Charles A. Lee, Dean of the Faculty. 15. Geneva Hotel This letter enclosed the following unique and manly letter, which I had afterwards copied on parchment and esteem one of my most valued possessions. At a meeting of the entire medical class of Geneva Medical College, held this day, October 20th, 1847, the following resolutions were unanimously adopted. 1. Resolved that one of the radical principles of a republican government is the universal education of both sexes, that to every branch of scientific education the door should be open equally to all, that the application of Elizabeth Blackwell to become a member of our class meets our entire approbation and in extending our unanimous invitation, we pledge ourselves that no conduct of ours shall cause her to regret her attendance at this institution. 2. Resolved. That a copy of these proceedings be signed by the chairman and transmitted to Elizabeth Blackwell. T.J. Stranton, Chairman. With an immense sigh of relief and aspiration of profound gratitude to Providence, I instantly accepted the invitation and prepared for the journey to western New York State. 
leaving Philadelphia on November 4th, I hastened through New York, traveled all night, and reached the little town of Geneva at 11 p.m. on November 6th. The next day, after a refreshing sleep, I sallied forth for an interview with the dean of the college, enjoying the view of the beautiful lake on which Geneva is situated, notwithstanding the cold, drizzling, windy day. After an interview with the authorities of the college, I was duly inscribed on the list as student number 130 in the medical department of the Geneva University. I at once established myself in a comfortable boarding house in the same street as my college and three minutes' walk from it, a beautiful walk along the high bank overlooking the lake. I hung my room with dear mementos of absent friends and soon with hope and zeal and thankful feelings of rest I settled down to study. End of chapter 3, part 1